You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Guys, exciting week. Rivalry matchup. Hokies are ranked in the top 15, 2-0. So a lot to look forward to this weekend in Morgantown. Yes, uh, I know there. I have a buddy, Richie Davis, that I've known since I was five years old, and Richie Richie's head explodes when we're getting ready to play West Virginia. He loves it, so I know there's a lot of Tech fans out there that feel the same way. There's a lot that don't, but you know that's uh, it's it's definitely more exciting than playing Rhode Island or or something like that. <laughs> and I'll just I'll just leave it at that. College football is is. People like college football because of rivalries and emotions yeah. and things like this. You take this game away, there's less emotion. So uh, I'm in favor of playing this game every year. So I'm looking forward to it. We actually went to D.C. with Richie a couple of years yeah. ago for that game. Yeah, um, that was nuts. That, that game was great. And um, the the football gods have done the favor of scheduling this game at noon. Um, so I, I think I talked about this in our game preview, which, preview, which is already up on Tech Sideline. Um you know, in 2003, summer of 2003, Tech accepted the invitation to the ACC and then played at West Virginia that following fall. And it was a Wednesday night game. Didn't matter what night it was. <laughs> it was it was out of hand. And uh, so they, they, they beat up on Tech pretty good. And Burned so, of course, couches. The, uh, was that when the couch burning thing started? I don't know if it's when it started at West Virginia, but I know. I mean, I remember the news staying up and watching the news reports from Morgantown all night, and it was like, it was like one of those police chase helicopter scenes where you got the overhead <laughs> view of everything, and it's like you've got so you got there and you're looking down, and there's Morgantown on fire. And do you remember where Tech was ranked? Wasn't it like third in the country yeah, or something like that? Tech yeah. Tech was really up there, and and so of course they played in Blacksburg, even though Tech was gone to the ACC after that. They had two more games they had to do contractually. And they played in Blacksburg the following year, and then they went back to Morgantown in 2005. And that game was also at noon. So this is the second trip to Morgantown since going to the ACC, and they're both at noon. And that, that's a big help. Well, noon kickoff on Fox Sports 1 from Morgantown. You guys bring me right to where I wanted to start with this. It's going to be a tough environment in West Virginia. And Chris and I were talking before we went live that – a lot of these guys haven't seen not only Morgantown itself, but an environment like this over the last couple of years because Tech hasn't played a lot of these tougher road games with maybe the exception of Florida State a few years back. Yeah, uh, so 2019 is clearly off the table. Excuse me, 2020 is clearly off the table. And, you know, where, where where would they have been in 2019 that had any sort of crowd? UVA fans were excited about that game, and that was a good crowd for UVA. But there's they, not they were Notre, at Notre Dame also, right? Yeah, but Notre Dame is tame. I'm, I'm talking – we're talking about the routing. Hostile it and pure hatred. Yeah. The, like, the big thing, you can talk about X's and O's all you want, and maybe this game will come down to that in execution. But it w- none of that stuff will matter if Tech doesn't respond well when they get hit in the head with a Duracell for the first time. Right. Right? Um, so they have to be prepared for that. Um, and it's one of those things that's like you tough, it's tough to be prepared for something you've never experienced. Yeah. So, you know, they're, they're going to see some things and hear some things that they've never seen or heard before. And, and they've just got to plug right through it, you know? 
Well, and the advice used to be simple. Keep your helmet on at all times. You well, know, that's what Justin Fuente said on Tech Talk Live on Monday. He, he said, Dax Hollifield, you can't be showing off your hair and waving <laughs> to the crowd. you got to throw the helmet on. Make sure you're, you're staying safe on that sideline. Yeah. Uh, something else that Justin Fuente mentioned is that a few of the coaches on this staff have played at Morgantown. Do you think that can help the Hokies, having guys on that staff that can say, here's exactly what you're going to get when you go to Morgantown? Only if the players listen. You know, Justin Hamilton's played there. J.C. Price Price has played there. Justin would would have been there in 2003 and 2005. And those two years, 2003 was the peak because there was so much emotion because Tech was was leaving. And then 2005, it wasn't as bad because it was a noon game, but, you know, still enough to, you know, make Marcus Vick – do his little gesture to the crowd. Yeah, you know what yeah. we're talking about, right, you young guys? All right. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, and we have some other interesting pictures <laughs> from the sideline for, for, from that game, of Virginia Tech players and the and the crowd getting into it. But, yes. Uh, at any rate, um, I don't – how did I even go down? <laughs> so we were talking about the environment. And... Oh, yeah. Oh, can a coach help? Yeah, so Justin Hamilton would have been there in 2003, and he was there in 2005. Yeah. So he – probably has a better understanding of anybody that uh, of, of what it's like and I, I remember like in 2004 when uh, West Virginia played at Tech and I was a senior and and they were ranked seventh and Tech beat them and you know we rushed the field and everything not because Tech beat a top 10 team but just because it was West Virginia right. and all their fans were talking so much trash and I remember going down there like they had police dogs on the field between the West Virginia crowd and the South End Zone and all of us who were on the field. Really? Uh, yeah. Um, I, and I, I just remember being down close to the South End Zone, and I was standing probably in the end zone, and all of a sudden there was just this giant wall of middle fingers and water bottles being thrown on the field at us and everything, from the visiting West Virginia crowd. <laughs> yeah. So multiply that by around 10, you know, from about, you know, 6,000 people to 60,000. Yeah. yeah, the capacity of their stadium yeah, is 60,000. Yeah, yeah, so it's, it's like I said, it, you're gonna they're going to see some things and hear some things that they've never seen and heard before. Well, we mentioned it's a noon kickoff. Maybe that helps out a little bit. West Virginia fans can't indulge in the festivities as much early on. It, it does. So I was in, I was in, I was working media in 2001, which was, I think, Rich Rod's first season in, in West Virginia. Tech flattened them. I think they beat him 31-7. And 2003, there was so much demand that uh, WVU did not grant us press access. Now, they let uh, Russian Hokie, Yvonne Morozov, our photographer, onto the field, but they did not accept a uh, press box request from me. And then in 2005, they did. So I was in the press corps in 2001 and 2005. And something that they used to do at, at I think all football stadiums, but I remember it most at WVU is at the end of the third quarter, you go, you have the option to leave and go down through the crowd and be on the sideline for the fourth quarter. And then from there, you walk out the end zone and you do your interviews right behind the end zone. So that's the idea is that you're doing your thing up there in the press box. You go down, walk in with the team and do the interviews right away. And so I was a, you know, tech one, uh, Pretty handily in 2005. Do you remember the score, Chris? 31 17, 34 17, 31 17. But it wasn't that close. Yeah. Was that the game where. That was the Pat- only game West Virginia lost all year. Yeah, so uh, wow. one of the details of that game was that they started. Oh, man, I don't remember the name of the quarterback. Pat Bagnarik's kid or nephew or something. Bednarik or Bednarik. something like that. Adam Bednarik. 
they, they started him at quarterback, and then and after a while, as Tech ran up a big lead, they switched to uh, uh, Pat, Pat White and Steve Slate. Quarterback Steve Slate and was a running back, yeah. Yeah, and and I remember watching those guys going, oh, they're going to be really good, and they were. That was the only like, – like Chris said, that was the only game test, uh, West Virginia lost all year. But point being, even though it was 31-17, 34-17, it wasn't that close. Yep. So, you know, we all went down there, and I was standing on the sidelines, and I did get a chance to watch the – I remember a couple of things. I remember Carlton Powell and Vince Hall interacting with the WVU fans. Interacting. Marcus, Marcus, Marcus Vick style. <laughs> I have a picture somewhere, <laughs> which is one of my one of my treasured pictures. That, that we should actually frame it and put it. On doesn't the really make it out much. Yeah, we should have had it on the set for today. Yeah, but but I also remember the line of security in between the WVU fans and the Virginia Tech sideline. Um, yeah. So those are my memories of Morgantown. And, and to be fair, like my last two interactions with West Virginia fans have been awesome. Like, I thought they were fine at FedEx Field. I thought they were, the, the ones I met were great. And when I was down in Charlotte for the Belk Bowl in 2016, you know, the night before the game, I'm at Whiskey River, and all of a sudden I look up and I'm surrounded by West Virginia fans, and then the <laughs> bar starts playing the West Virginia fight song, and I'm like, what in the world is going on? Turns out that's the – that's the West Virginia alumni bar in Charlotte. Wow. And they were all there that <laughs> night to, to watch the West Virginia bowl game. And they were playing Miami that night. So I sat there surrounded by West Virginia fans in Charlotte that night, and they were all great. Um, I, I think it's mostly the uh, students and locals. Uh, so, but, you know, but has it calmed down any since then? I, That's true. It's yeah, been 15 years. Right, right. It's been a long time. And now in the state of West Virginia, I mean, West Virginia football is the biggest show in town in the state of West Virginia. Yeah. That is what everybody cares about. This isn't like the state of Virginia where, you know, half the people from Northern Virginia aren't even from Virginia. Or South Side Virginia where I'm from where half the people are just UNC or Duke basketball fans. Yeah. You know, and they don't – they're also, by the way, some of those are Virginia Tech football fans if you want to <laughs> call a spade a spade. Right. Um, there's not really like that – if, if I feel like if you live in West Virginia, you were born in West Virginia for the most part, right? So you came up on that, and then there's not – I don't feel like there's much bandwagonness to their fan base. I mean, they, they are hardcore West Virginia football, and this rivalry goes a long way back. I mean, this – this I don't know what the rest of their schedule looks like, but, I mean, this is, this is the game they circle. Yeah. Uh, they, they want this game more than any other. Especially probably. with Tech coming in ranked. Right, right. Um, so Tech fans, a lot of Tech fans look at this game like, oh, God, I don't want to play this game. And West Virginia fans are like, yes, we're pl- finally playing Virginia Tech again. Yeah. Um, wow, I totally lost my train of thought. <laughs> oh, so I, I, I was going to say, as Chris was talking, I was thinking uh, I, I, I admire the way West Virginia fans, they're all about West Virginia and West Virginia mm-hmm. stuff. No and high school sports are huge in West Virginia. Um, I know a guy uh, lives here in Ramford, actually, who played high school basketball with Randy Moss, and uh, who was who was the uh, the point guard who was really good that went to high school with Randy Moss. High, played high school basketball. No Dang, I can't remember, remember his name. Played played in the NBA. Um, he was called White Chocolate, I think. Oh, I, Jason Williams. Yeah, oh, Jason yeah. Williams. So I, this guy played high school ball. If I remember the stories correctly, he played high school ball with Randy Moss and Jason Williams. So there are people in the state of West Virginia that are just legend, and it's just a, a really tight state. And 
And I, and I really kind of wish it was that way here in the state of Virginia. Right. Well, when you look at West Virginia, there's really no pro team there. You could kind of say Washington sports fall into the state of Virginia. There's really only the one FBS Power 5 college yeah. football team, too. So That's right. who else are you going to circle around? Um, I'm hoping that maybe they're a little more tame. We're sending some of our SMA kids up there, a couple to cover, a couple are going as fans. So I told them, don't wear tech stuff. Uh, <laughs> you may, you may yeah, I mean, don't, don't, don't mess around. The stories are... Some of the stories are legit. They're true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's time to get into some actual football. We're going to start with West Virginia and their first two games. Coming in one and one, they lost to Maryland, blew out Long Island last week, sixty-six to nothing. Can you take that much from those two games? You look at the Maryland game, a lot of mistakes, especially early on, and then Long Island, a team that barely just came up from Division yeah. Two. You're going to beat them more times uh, than not. Yeah, I, I think. Uh... I don't think you can take anything from the Long Island game. Long yeah. Island was Division Two until 2019, and they went 0-10 in their first year as an FCS team. Yeah. And when I say uh, people, sometimes people call like FCS teams Division Two. That's not true. FCS is what we used to call one double A, and then there's a division below that that is Division Two, and then there's Division Three below that. Right. So. So th this is a team that up until a couple of years ago was somewhere between Ferrum and James Madison. Yeah. At that level. Um, so they still have a lot of Division II talent talent on that team. So you can't take anything away from that. Um, maybe you can take something away from the Maryland game. I was surprised West Virginia lost that game. Um, Mike Loxley only has 10 wins as a head football coach. And like 42 losses? Some 37. A lot. It's a lot. A lot, yeah. yeah. And so 10% of his career wins have now come against West Virginia, right? And it was, it was weird because West Virginia had – their defense was ranked fourth in the country last year. And first of all, it's the Big 12 is thought of as a conference that doesn't play defense and all they do is play offense. And I, I think there's a lot of truth to that with the exception of West Virginia. West Virginia's offense has struggled the last few years, but their defense has been has been very good, particularly last year. And I, I think there's a reason for that. because It's because their players don't come from the state of Texas like the rest of the Big 12 players. I think Texas high school football is just so – offensive oriented, oriented these days and I don't think they much defense is taught there. If, if you watch some Texas high school football film you'll see a lack of effort in general yeah. on defense yeah yeah it's yeah. a nice way to and that it. carries up to the big 12 schools in that state I, I think so I mean even Oklahoma I don't think we'll ever be able to beat like Alabama and Ohio State's to win a national championship because their defense isn't good enough because all their players come from Texas Anyway, that, that's a, that's another topic. That's painting with a broad brush. Yeah, that's <laughs> painting with a broad brush. It really is. But so I don't know. Their defense played poorly against Maryland, particularly against the pass. Gave up a lot of big plays. Some of their better players, or some of their best players, you know, like last year. Uh, what am I looking at here? Uh, Sean Mahone was a really good player for them last year. Uh, uh, Josh Chandler Smeda was a really good player for them last year, and they graded out horribly against Maryland. And you know, their safeties and linebackers in general just got torched by the passing game. At Maryland, is that a one-off performance, or are they just transitioning? Because they did add some coaching changes in the off-season. Uh, there's their safeties coach, who's to play for West Virginia, who actually would have played in the 20, 2003 and 2005 games. No kidding. He left his alma mater to go to Georgia in the off-season, and you know he was kind of like a served as a co-defensive coordinator. They didn't have a defensive coordinator last year. Their defensive coordinator basically got fired slash left over the summer over a scandal. So they had to make their 
their defensive line coach kind of like a uh, co-defensive coordinator who handled the running game and their safeties coach, a co-defensive coordinator who, who handled the passing And didn't game. that defensive line coach switch to linebackers coach? At this year. That, yeah. he, he, well, yeah. now he's their defensive coordinator after last yeah. year. Yeah. Um, so that's, it, did, did they struggle against the pass against Maryland because they lost the safeties coach? Is that going to be a big, big deal for them? And and does this guy? He's now their linebackers coach in full time DC, but before that, he had been a defensive line coach his entire life. And you know, you prefer to have a linebackers coach or a safeties coach as your defensive coordinator because linebackers and safeties they have to understand run fits and coverage schemes and things like that. Whereas a defensive line coach doesn't necessarily have to. He only has to understand one of those things. So, is is this? Are they going to be not as good defensively because of that transition on defense? Right. Or was it just a one thing, one game, you know, you're just kind of teething with a new with a new coach in there? And are they going to get back to normal like they were last year starting this week? Yeah. I don't know. Still learning about kind of everybody at this point. Yeah, well, and I'm not sure, you know, with the way Tech has kind of been struggling on offense so far this year. Not you know struggling may not be the right word, but just a lack of dynamic playmaking going on on the Virginia Tech offense. Right, I'm not sure you're going to learn a lot about the West Virginia defense this weekend. Um, uh, yeah, but, I don't know. Well, we, I, we don't I, well, need to really learn. We're just watching one game. Right. Yeah. Well, I think if you're a West Virginia fan and and Tech goes out there and has success throwing the football, and that would be two games in a row where they got torched in the secondary. Right, it's a bad situation. for them. Right, it's a bad situation, especially coming off last year when they were so good yeah. on defense. And you're like, oh, wow, did losing this one coach to Georgia hurt us this bad? And, and were they fifth in the country in defense last fourth, year? Fourth, I think. And now, was that an efficiency metric? No, or no that was total, total defense. defense. But, but, you know, you, you can look at the efficiency metrics, too, and see that that was a good defense last yeah. year. Um, but not so good that first week. Well, and again, four – of these quarters are against Long Island, but they've only given up 10 points in their last six quarters of football. The defense seems to be settling in and maybe even, even against a team like Long Island, that game can give you some momentum that you can carry into this game. Yeah. Um, you would think so. The big thing about the Maryland game is they, their defense did play well for, for large stretches of the Maryland game, but when they, in the stretches where they didn't play well, they were awful. Just yeah, they guy, guys running free. And, yeah, yeah. Lots of blown yeah. coverages and things like that. Yeah. Well, and this West Virginia defense, it seems like they've had struggles getting to the big play. They've only got one turnover forced, and that was a fumble against Long Island. They've only sacked the quarterback four times in two games. And again, one of those games against basically a Division II opponent, like you said. So could that help out the Hokies, who have been mistake-free for the most part, maybe continue that trend into this game? I hope so. You know, turnovers can be kind of random sometimes. Um, Even your best teams with turnovers – are always going to have one or two games where you're like, oh, what in the world? You know? Yeah, you know, and, and I, for example, I watched uh, a replay of South Carolina and East Carolina, and East Carolina had them down 14 nothing, and had the ball towards the end of the first half, minute left to go. ECU quarterback throws the ball. It hits an ECU running back right there, up into the air. South Carolina picks it off and runs it for a touchdown. That's not a great play on defense. The guy just happened to be in the yeah, right place at right. the right time. So he's right. Turnovers can be completely random. Um, so, one of the things that uh, – so, I, Chris and I both watched uh, uh, kind of a highlight, condensed version of the West Virginia-Maryland game, 24 minutes long, right? And watching the West Virginia defense uh, – Chris, you may know more about this than me. They, they list three defensive linemen. Mm-hmm. 
Um, at times they will rush three. At times they'll have four guys, five guys, six guys on the line. So they can really do a lot of stuff as far as what kind of fronts they show you and that sort of thing. They've got a, they've got a bandit position, and Vandarius Cowan starts there, 6'4", 242, basically an outside linebacker yeah. slash defensive end yeah. type. And, and sometimes you, you just shouldn't, you shouldn't pay a lot of attention to what position a player is designated as on the depth chart. You can go back to the whole Bucky Hodges listed as a tight end thing. Yeah. We never played <laughs> tight end, at least not the last year. Uh, you can do that to a certain extent on defense. Like uh, pro football focus this week actually listed CJ McCray as an outside linebacker for Virginia tech against Marshall because he against was middle Tennessee, excuse me, against middle Tennessee because he was standing up for most of the plays he was on the field. Yeah. So I, I think they listed him. If you're an edge player, they kind of list you as an outside linebacker. If you're standing up, and they'll list you as a, de- as a defensive end if you got your hand to the ground. But in the end, it's the same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, yes, West Virginia can be a multi-front defense, which, honestly, Virginia Tech is kind of that way now, too, at times. You could consider the Virginia Tech that to a certain extent. I mean – Yeah, you, the way they're using Barno. And, yeah, and, the, yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's just a more – for the most part, you know, you would recognize the same Bud Foster defense every week with some tweaks here and there. Obviously, there's the exceptions like the 2014 Ohio State game, but uh, I think Tech will be more, more, maybe more multi-front now, depending on on the opposition. And other teams have been making that switch in in recent years. Well, for the Hokies' offense, you're having to replace James Mitchell this week. First game without him, and against a defense like this, maybe a little bit undersized at a lot of positions. Just looking straight up at the depth chart but have been solid. We're solid last year coming off a shutout, again, of Long Island. But how do you think the Hokies and Brad Cornelson are going to try and attack this defense, again, without one of your big stars in James Mitchell? Well, first of all, you know, you've got to figure out – that's like Fuente said after the game last year. Tech has to figure out which areas of the passing game Vermeister and the receivers are comfortable in and and what they can get better at. There's there's no sense in, like – trying to get them to improve on things that maybe they're not going to be very good at. Don't bang your head against yeah. the wall. In other exactly. Uh, so they got to figure that out this week while also, take, you know, obviously taking a look at West Virginia and saying how did Maryland get so many guys running wide open at various points in, okay. in that game. Um, I don't think Virginia Tech will have to score a ton of points to beat West would have to beat West Virginia. No, as a matter of fact, we'll, we'll, we, we'll talk about that later. When we do our picks later, yeah. you'll see that they're um, all pretty low scoring. Yeah. But, you know, it just, it, you know, I don't think you can drive five yards at a, a play down the field against them either. Man. You're, you're going to have to have explosive plays in there. Um, when Tech went 96 yards against Middle Tennessee, they got two big plays, right? Uh, it was the Trey Tur- long pass to Trey Turner, and then a couple of plays later, it was Jalen Holston breaking the tackle and going 30 some yards for a touchdown. Right. Um, so Tech is going to have to figure out how to generate big plays, and that's not just the West Virginia game. That's that's every other game on the schedule this year too. Yeah, so one of the things they put in game notes uh, um, that I've started to pay attention to because I think it's going to be a theme all year long is plays over 20 yards. Yep. And the way they list them is they don't just list offense. They list defensive plays over 20 yards, like an interception return or a fumble return. They list special teams plays over 20 yards, kickoffs, punt returns, that sort of thing. And Tech had three, I believe it was three offensive plays against UNC of over 20 yards. And that's not a lot. Um, They're, you know, through, through, uh, and I ran this in my article Monday, through uh, two games last year, they had 20 plays 
of over 20 plus yards and Khalil Herbert had 12 all by himself. And then so far this year through two games, the team has 12 and a number of those have come on special teams and defense. Um, you can, you know, somebody with a good memory can probably reel them off. Well, they would have had two on special teams. I, I think Kashawn, I think Kashawn King had two kickoff returns. Well, one, oh, one, one, one of them got called back. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Tavion had a punt return. Waller's interception return was, uh, was over 20, uh, right yards. about 20 yards, I think. Mm-hmm. So that stuff all goes into the numbers. Right. Yeah. So that's interesting to look at, especially offensively for the Hokies. Who do you think can step up in that spot and make plays? Could it be Raheem Blackshear maybe getting a little bit more run, maybe in the slot as well in this game, just trying to electrify this offense? Yeah, you know, it's going to be interesting to see. that They were they were rotating their t- the tight ends a lot um, in there. Um, Julius has played a lot. Gallo's played a lot. And obviously Mitchell was, was out there a lot too. But they weren't actually playing Mitchell quite as many reps as, as you would think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like he was. At, he wasn't out there like every down against North Carolina. There, there was a rotation going through there. So, I, I don't think like Tech is going to like, yo, you know what? We're just going to add a third tight end to the rotation. <laughs> I don't, I don't think they're going to do that. I, I mean, I think the two guys they've got will continue to play. And it's not like I don't think Tech was playing with a lot of three tight end formations. Um, I'm sure that they had some, um, but I, I think they'll play Gallo and they'll play Dulius. And I don't, I don't think they're going to add a third guy there. Uh, I mean, your options after that are Ty Eller, uh, Cole Blaker. They're, some, and, they're uh, walk-ons. And I think Jared Gibble. Who's a true freshman. Yeah. Um, and, so. and redshirting. Yeah. So, ha, huh, redshirting, first one. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, to me, it's like, does it – do you play Blackshear a little more in the slot now? Uh, do you play Jaden Payute more? Um those are the bigger questions. I mean, I don't think – I don't see how just adding a, just another tight end in there, I don't think it helps. I mean, you've already got – you've got these two guys. They're solid players, and they can split the reps. Um, now, you don't want them both on the field all the time. They'll get worn out. So, maybe there there might be fewer two tight end sets now, maybe, yeah. which means one more wide receiver in the game or, or, or something like that. Yeah, it's, it'll be interesting to see the way they go. But I, I think, you know, to your question – I. Uh, I think Blackshear's probably the guy with the most potential yes. to to make plays in space. But mm-hmm. we've been saying that since last year, you know, and, and he certainly did against North Carolina. He well, did it in Carolina uh, against Carolina in the passing game. And right. He, he did it this past week in the running game. He was I thought he was good in the running game this past week. And you would think that the injury to Mitchell, maybe it forces Brad Cornelson to be a little more creative with personnel and formations. Maybe you get Connor Blumrick involved at tight end, have him do those jet sweeps that James yeah. Mitchell used to do, and, stuff like that. And when we say tight end for Connor Blumrick, that doesn't mean he's going to be lined up on the edge <laughs> no. with his hand in the ground. You will not uh, see that. You, know, you were not <laughs> I don't think that. he'll be run blocking. No, he's not going to be lined up and asked to block. Yeah, he's, he's listed at 215. You know, if, if they even take a look at him there at all, um, I, who knows? I mean, I, I wouldn't tip my hand there if I were them. I mean, we'll just have to watch the games and find out. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like how – I don't know. Coaches want to win every game, so I won't say what I was about to say. Let's move on. <laughs> well, looking at this uh, this matchup between West Virginia's defense and the Hokies' offense, who do you think has the advantage here? Again, it's very early in this season, but so far West Virginia's had their own struggles defensively, and the Hokies have – had a little bit of a slow start offensively outside of that first touchdown against Carolina. Yeah, um, you, you really liked the start offensively for Virginia Tech against Carolina, but like the last 
you know, they hit a lull, obviously, the, yeah. the last two quarters of the Carolina game and the first two quarters sort of of the middle Tennessee State game. Mm-hmm. And so I, I guess Brock Hoffman said it on Monday. Uh, David, I think he said something like, what you want, what we need is the first half of the Carolina and the second half of Middle Tennessee all combined in, <laughs> right. into one. I think I think it's what he said to the media earlier this week. That would be thirty-five points. Yeah, um, it should have been forty-two. Well, you know, just yeah. I mean, just some. It's just points aside. Like, they what do you look like? Are you moving What's the football? Yeah. Are you efficient? Yeah, yeah that, it, that's what I, I put that in my part of the preview. He he just you know, it was I think it was David Teal who asked you know what. What have you liked about the offense so far, and what do you think the offense's ceiling is? And he basically said, you know, we have to be consistent. We can't play like the second half of North Carolina and the first half of Middle Tennessee, but if we play like the first half of the North Carolina game and the second half of the Middle Tennessee game, you know, we're going to come out and essentially, you know, run the ball, you know, pick up yards on the ground, you know, like Chris always says, you know, a sm- little bit of smoke and mirrors and, and get some chunk yardage eventually and, you know, put up some points. And, you know, I think if Virginia Tech can do that, they have a good chance to beat a lot of teams. And, and I, I think you'll see, you'll certainly see a lot more of scheming to get guys open than you saw against Middle Tennessee. Uh, I haven't had a chance to read Brandon Patterson's article, but the word vanilla was in the title. <laughs> you know, so, and, and I, and I tried not to say it in the article I wrote, but I was just like, it just looked vanilla to me on offense and defense. And defense. I mean, it was even more vanilla on defense than it was on offense. Uh, I, I mean, that I was like complete fair. base scheme. Yeah. And so, so to answer your question, you're like, kind of, who's got the advantage here? Um, I'm I'm actually not really sure, but I but I do think that Cornelson will give it his best shot, and I'm not going to sit here and pretend like somebody's going to suddenly show up out of nowhere, like Payute's going to have five catches for 180 yards, yeah, stuff like that. I just don't think that kind of thing's going to happen. But I, I think they know they have a good idea of what they have, and I think they'll uh, make the best use of it. Well, will, you, it, will it be successful? We'll see. You would assume that Brad Cornelson is going to open this up against West Virginia. There's no holding back against a team like this, Power 5 opponent on the road. You're you're putting everything out there to try and win this game. Right, right. I mean, it's not going to be Middle Tennessee game plan where it's just like your base offense for the fir- whole first quarter. You know, they're, they're going to have things in design specifically – for West Virginia. Yeah, and, and and with the caveat that I'm not much of an analyst, just looking at the way WVU lines up on defense, there are opportunities. You know, there are, there are spots on the field where if you make the right call and catch them in the wrong defense, you'll have a big play. They're, they they struggle to tackle sometimes in the alley yeah. against Maryland. And Virginia Tech likes to run those screens to wide receivers, so yeah. there's some potential yardage there. Well, we'll see how it goes on Saturday with the Hokies offense. We're going to take a break here on episode 191 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. When we get back, we're going to go through the Mountaineers offense and the matchup with the Hokies defense that has only given up 24 points in two games so far this season. We're also going to take a trip back down memory lane, look at great moments between the Hokies and the Mountaineers over the years, and look at other Hokies rivalries and see where West Virginia stacks up. Make sure you stay with us here on episode 191 of the Tech Sideline Podcast. We'll be right back.
We welcome you back to episode 191 of the Tech Sideline Podcast, presented by the Southeast Regional Training Center. We're previewing Virginia Tech and West Virginia this weekend in the battle for the Black Diamond Trophy as it's renewed for the first time since 2017. Jake Lyman, Will Stewart, Chris Coleman, behind the scenes Malcolm Stewart, and to my right is David Cunningham. David, before we hop back into football here, we have a little update on Tech basketball. Yeah, Tyler Nickel, four-star, uh, six-foot-eight, um, He's listed as small four, but plays more of a wing. Um, he's from Rockingham County, up up around Harris, the Harrisonburg area. He committed to North Carolina. Um, Virginia Tech was one of his final five schools. Uh, Virginia Tech, Iowa, um, you know, and it's for Tech basketball. It, it's tough because he was a he was a big time. Um, of course, he's in state, but he was a big time uh, target. You know, and I think Will and Chris and I were talking about this before we went on the podcast. Um, you know, back in July, I think we had all heard stuff that it sounded like he was coming to Virginia Tech, and just the way recruiting works out. You know, North Carolina got him in last weekend for an official visit, and he committed to Hubert Davis in North Carolina. So that's the way that's the way it goes sometimes. His coaches were convinced he was going to Virginia Tech. I yeah, hundred mean, percent convinced. North, he grew up a North Carolina fan, which. Like like I said, a lot of people in the middle state. of the state. Of Virginia, no, nobody in the state grows North up Carolina. a Virginia Tech basketball fan. That's yeah. just the way it is. At least um, not right now. Right. Uh, yeah. I mean, you're gonna have to win multiple years in a row to change that and yeah. go to Sweet Sixteens and Elite Eights and Final Fours. Um, but yeah, you know, Carolina only decided they wanted him within the last couple of weeks, and he grew up a Carolina fan, and that that was good enough for him. It's a, it's unfortunate because Tech Tech did as much as they could. I mean, Tech recruited him very very well. He was up at Tech for the UNC football game, went to Center Street. I mean, had a great time. Uh, Tech recruited him as well as he possibly could, but it's a, just a blue blood program. Um, Tech's always in the difficult position for basketball. Is you want to you want to get the best players that you can that the blue bloods don't want, because if the blue bloods want them, they will get them. And there's yeah. not, not going to be anything you can do about it. Well, and that's something that works out for Tech because they generally keep players three and four years and they can develop better. Mm-hmm. Uh, and something that I think is more pronounced in basketball recruiting, you guys can tell me whether or not you agree with this, um, but because there are so few players on a team. So isn't what happened here that Carolina missed out on a, a recruit at that position? Yeah, I, I believe it was – I don't remember the exact player's name, but I'm pretty sure I think he's going to Villanova. Yeah, yeah, he committed to Villanova, and as soon you know, and it because there's so few guys at that at a position, it's like yeah. you, you miss out on one guy, and it's okay. Well, our, our next target on the list is this guy. Mm-hmm. Oh, and he's coming on an official here anyway. And I think he was supposed to go visit Iowa like this upcoming weekend. And the, the the same thing happened to yeah. Well, he canceled that visit. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and then yeah, announced so, um, today. So I he was going to Tech, and there was no close second until UNC came in, yeah, and they yeah. were first. And so I think uh, that's more pronounced in basketball because yeah. there are just fewer, yeah, fewer spots. The yeah. same thing happened to Tech when Greenberg was here with uh, Josh Hairston, who was like a five-star recruit from the Martinsville area. His yeah. parents even went to Virginia Was Tech. he a Duke guy or a UNC guy? Duke. And, Duke. And, and Tech yeah. was clearly leading. And Duke had not offered him, and he was very, very close to committing to Virginia Tech, and Tech did a great job recruiting him. And then Duke called him and offered him when he was in the car driving home after his official visit to Virginia Tech. 
That's when Duke offered him. And, and then he and just when boom, Coach K commits, calls you. Commits. When and Coach his parents went to Virginia Tech. Yeah. You know? And and so the, that's just the way. So so he has a great visit at Tech. He gets in the car and everybody at Tech is like, Oh, we got, we got him. him. And on the, and they don't know about the phone call right. that occurred. At any rate, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Okay. Let's, let's move on. on. Well, we're gonna go back to West Virginia football. We've already talked about their defense and how the Hokies can match up with them without James Mitchell. But looking at their offense, they have gotten off to fast starts in both games, but have also had some issues against Maryland. Four turnovers in that game. It all starts with Jared Dagey at quarterback. Chris, you've been tweeting, and you put it in your article, that he's not the kind of mobile quarterback that Tech's defenses have <laughs> no. struggled with in the past. He's a very good passing quarterback. Only threw four interceptions all of last year. Um, so the fact that he threw two against Maryland was a little surprising. One was an elite play by a Maryland cornerback in the end zone, and the other was an awful decision uh, by Dagey himself. But, yeah, he's got something like minus 472 rushing yards in his I think it was career. 423 or something <laughs> like yeah, that. Yeah, it was a lot. Minus, minus 3.2 yards per carry for his career. So, uh, you know, like I, I watched the, I watched the uh, Miami – App State game on Saturday night. And, you know, Chase Bryce, the quarterback uh, for App for State, State, who's been at Duke and Clemson. Clemson and however many other schools these days the guys attend. But uh, he's probably as statuesque as any quarterback is in the modern game. Like, he is not a runner, just not swift of foot at all. But he still has positive – he's still got a couple hundred rushing yards, positive yardage for his career. And he's about as slow as it gets. So the fact that Dakey has minus four or five hundred rushing yards in his career, that's just incredible to me. Yeah, you have you have you wrote in your preview, one hundred and thirty nine carries, negative four hundred and thirty two yards. Thirty two. That's an average of negative three point one yards per carry. Right, and I don't care if you get sacked a lot. You, you know, you're, you're still you're, you should have you're gonna have more rushing yards. You haven't than gotten that sacked you can that much. Run. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, in college football, sacks do count as minus rushing yards, yes. not in the NFL. But right, that is definitely something the Hokies will have to look at. Is that maybe unlike against North Carolina when Amari Barno was dropping into coverage or maybe being a spy, you have him and Taiwan Garbett just pin their ears back and go. Yeah, and right, and how and do you blitz more often? now uh, or or uh, you know i don't think you have to worry too much about playing you can man up more if you feel like that's the right thing to do because he's not as much of a threat to release no threat to run to be quite honest with you um now what are they going to do though like they did get garrett green their backup quarterback into the game early against long island and he rushed had 14 carries for 98 yards yeah. but he's also a 510 redshirt freshman who never threw for more than 1200 yards in high school and West Virginia has good receivers so it almost seems like if you take out Daggy then and you bring in Garrett Green a 510 freshman it's almost like a wildcat it's, offense right it's almost like you you, you you're going to run the ball every you're going to right you're going to run the ball and you're if you if one of the your strengths is your wide receivers you kind of negate your strength right so I it's, mean, it's a balancing act WVU's leading rusher is uh Letty Brown Yes, and we'll yeah, talk th about him. Thirty-two rushes, one hundred and four yards. That, that's only three point three yards. A so, did, so, so, did he really get shut down this past week against Long Island? Uh, I'm not sure what the deal there was because he had some plays against Maryland. Oh well, he had seventy some yards against Maryland and averaged had a had a decent yeah, average. Seventy-three yards, two touchdowns against Maryland. Yeah, right. Yeah, so, so yeah, they so, probably just didn't play him very much. against, yes. against Long Island. But but he averaged but still, over four hundred yards. Uh, over four hundred. He's got <laughs> yeah, no, he averaged over four yards per carry against Maryland which means he got totally shut down by Long Island. Yeah, that's kind of weird. Um, but he's a guy who averaged 
over 100 yards. He, he a game had 15 last year. carries against Long Island. Right. 15, how, many, how many yards? Of? 15 carries, 31 net yards. Right. Right. Two touchdowns, but that's right. kind yeah, of bad. Yeah, that, so uh, they have not been good in run blocking. This but year. well, maybe he went out the night before on the town. And just didn't <laughs> yeah. feel good. Not that too worried be. about the Sharks. Uh, now yeah. the thing is, though, like he, he averaged over 100 yards a game last year and right. was an All Big 12 player. And he is a very physical runner. This dude's a load. He's a good back. He might be the best back stack faces all year. 511 uh, 216 yeah. which is like prototype right, college right. running so, back size. So when they Tech has to tackle. put their big boy hats on when they tackle him. Yeah. And they need to get him somewhere around the line of scrimmage before he gets ahead of steam and gets running downfield because he he can be a load there. Um I I I think if Tech stops him they'll win the game. Because I, like if they shut him down then like I don't feel like the the rest of the offense is balanced enough. Like if if Daggy's the quarterback, all they'll be able to do is throw it. That's it. Whereas if you bring in uh, if you bring in Green to try to get somewhat of a running threat, then okay, maybe yeah, your quarterback can run the ball a little bit, but now you can't, you can't pass hit. it. So, so the, the the big thing that worries me, and again, we watched the same twenty four minute kind of recap of the Maryland game, and. The problem with that is when you watch that, you see all the highlights for both teams. You don't see the plays that got get stuffed <laughs> yes, at the line, right. you know. So if you watch that, there there are parts of the West Virginia offense that look very dynamic. Uh, they run some tunnel screens. They run a lot of action Crossing. across the middle, and and that stuff can get hard to defend. You know how how is Dax going to do against that? That that crossing stuff over the middle is probably. You know, the, you run a risk when you're in man coverage. You know, if, if if there are some pick routes in there, you run the risk if your man gets loose on a pick route, then that's going to be a huge gain. So I, I suspect they do those uh, crossing routes to try to keep teams, you know, in zone maybe to a certain extent. Uh Maybe that makes it easier on yeah. on, on Daggy. I, I don't know, but uh, I, I know they have the potential to be explosive. But yeah, you, but you get that, back. That, so it's one thing to watch highlights and then hear the numbers were like three hundred some yards of offense. Eh, that's okay. I, I, I expect the West Virginia offensive coordinator is getting cussed out by fans on message boards right yeah. now because he doesn't. Ha- There's not a good decision here. You're never like Daggy can't run at all. He's like the least mobile quarterback in the country. Either way, you're one-dimensional. Right, right. And the other guy has no experience passing the ball. He's only five, he's a 5'10 freshman. How good is he really going to be throwing the football? So if you could combine them together, <laughs> you probably got a really good offense, but you can't. And there's, there's, there's going to be an element of give and take, and it's really difficult to find that proper balance. And it's one of those things that offensive coordinators have to try to find and – and let and somebody's a lot of people are going to be unhappy with them either way. Well, in the modern college game, it limits your offense if your quarterback is not a running threat. Yeah, it takes the read option out of it. Right. He's, he's just handing off for the like, shotgun. Yeah, and right, well, yeah. and not just the read option, the scramble too. Like UNC doesn't run like a bunch of read option with Sam Howell, but he can still run the football. Like yeah. like he had over a hundred yards rushing this past week. Yeah. And and he had, you know, probably he had some solid gains against Tech in that game. So you have to regard that guy as a threat to a certain extent. Even though you know he's not going to have 15 carries and not going to run the read option things like that, you at least have to regard his scrambling as a threat and I don't think you have to do that for West Virginia when Daggy's on the field. Well, as a matter of fact, uh we saw the one of the interceptions he threw was a terrible decision oh. while while scrambling. Yeah. And then he later he he 
didn't wind up turning it over here. He made another bad decision and threw in the coverage, but the ball was dropped. Mm-hmm. So, not again, not being real familiar with him, does he make bad decisions when he does scramble? Because he's not going to run, so he's like, well, I have to throw it. You know? <laughs> we'll find out more on Saturday. Well, you would think the reason they do start digging, you mentioned it, is their wide receivers are the strength of their right. team. They have six receivers with 60 or more yards in two games. Four of them have 97 or more. For comparison, Tech has just three receivers over 60 yards through two games. So not only do they have good wide receivers, they have a lot of them, and they can spread the ball around, which could be something to look at in Tech secondary. Yeah, you know, uh, Winston Wright, we'll talk about him more later. Sean Ryan. Bryce Ford Wheaton is a, is a big target on, on the outside. Uh, you know, you you could list all of them, but there's no point. But yeah, you, you know, you, they're going to have five or six receivers in the game, and there will be times when they will actually have a five wide receiver formation. Yes, I and, did see that. Right, and, but yeah. but sometimes that's also one of those receivers is Letty Brown. Like he'll line up and then yeah, he'll, exactly. he'll split out. out. Yeah. Now he had 31 catches for them last year. He he is a receiving threat. Yeah. as well um and, and then their their receivers run the gamut i mean they got the fast slot guys they've got the big guys who can win the jump balls yeah they, it's, they've got the whole it's kind of clear who their outside receivers are and who their slot receivers yeah. are yeah. well and could this be a game we mentioned it in the north carolina preview that chamari connor daz newsome kind of got him over the last couple of years could this be a game where maybe they line somebody up in that slot that could go after connor most of the game yeah um <laughs> uh right Winston Wright is, is probably you know he's five nine uh, or excuse me five ten one hundred eighty pounds junior uh, dynamic kickoff returner really quick guy so yeah I mean I would I would look for them to try to get a matchup advantage there so here's so for some of you who wonder why we in the media quote unquote sometimes make mistakes I cut and pasted the roster from their site and Winston Wright Jr. on their roster is 5'9", 180. Oh, in their game notes, he's 5'10", well, 180. Well, it's the same thing for their left tackle, Brandon Yates. In their game notes slash depth chart, he's 6'4", 295. But on their roster, he's 6'3", 295. Yeah. So they're adding a few inches, taking a few yeah. away every once in a while. You know, Doug Nestor grew an inch since last year. <laughs> just, just like Luke Tenuta grew two inches for Virginia Tech since last year. Well, you mentioned Doug Nestor. Looking at that offensive line, three sophomores on the line. Again, COVID sophomores, so they, right. they're they're basically juniors, but they have struggled well, a little bit, especially run. The, well, the, the thing is, like West Virginia is not making COVID designations for their year on their roster. Like okay. Doug Nestor is listed as a junior on their roster, which is what he he's in his third year. So, right, if he was still at Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech would still be listing him as a sophomore. Interesting. But what I've noticed is that West Virginia. Yes, those players will still be eligible, but West Virginia is not going to confuse anybody, which was what I, li- I actually like. I, like I will say this. When, when I went to cut and paste, so, so I, I get the entire the other team's entire roster off their website, and then i got to trim it down to 86 guys. And I encounter teams where there's 110, 115 guys on the roster. WVU, there's only like 98 guys listed on their roster. Mm-hmm. So having a little bit of youth on that offensive line, you mentioned in your preview that there's been some struggles, especially in the run blocking game for that front. There has. Um, they really struggled uh, against Maryland. Uh, obviously, they struggled again to a certain extent this past week. Maybe not so much when the backup quarterback was running the ball, but you know, if a back the caliber of Letty Brown is only averaging two yards a carry, and I'm telling you, this is a good back. Yeah. And there's no reason for him to average two yards a carry yeah. against Long Island unless they're having some struggles up front. Well, and in the Maryland game, they only ran for 48 yards. Now, again, some of those probably sacks. But Certainly, uh, I think he had minus 25 rushing <laughs> yards. 
So a little bit <laughs> skewed. But again, the running game has not been great for West Virginia early on. Could be a strength for Virginia Tech in that game. You mentioned mm-hmm. special teams with Winston Wright. Yeah. I want to jump into that. The Hokies had a few big plays in special teams against Middle Tennessee. That could be the difference in this game. All of your predictions, low scoring in Chris's uh, preview article on TechSideline.com. So one big special teams play could really break it open. But, you know, besides the obvious, you know, every week we sit here and say for, for like a, a, a game that seems like it's going to be close, it's cliche to say tur- turnovers and field position and special teams are, are going to be decisive, right? They say that on all big games. <laughs> but let's let's dig a little deeper here. Uh, and when, when I say something is going to be like, when I say special teams is going to be important, I, I really i am looking at the kickoff team. Uh Winston Wright Jr. had a 98-yard kickoff return to set up a touchdown. Not for a touchdown. To set up a touchdown. <laughs> Usually you hear that and you're like, oh, touchdown. Must right. Have um, yeah. And then he had another one of, of about 50 yards, which they immediately turned the ball over after that. And if I remember on that one, he he made the mistake. He, he, he brought it out to their 45, and he stepped out of bounds. He was still in the clear. Uh, so it would have been a lot longer than right. and if the, I'm remembering the right play. The, the point I want to make is that he brought both, uh, both of those out like from like five yards deep in the end zone. Yeah. So this is a guy who is a big play threat. He's he's a high risk, high reward guy on special teams. He can absolutely return 198 yards from five yards deep in their end zone and set up a touchdown. But at the same time, if you've got good kickoff coverage and you're disciplined and you stay in your lanes, and if he does that, you might tackle him in like the 16 or 17 yard line and get great special get a great field position advantage. I, I think in looking at their list of 20 uh, plays of 20 plus yards, he had a couple of 20 yard kickoff returns. Right. So yes, if he's bringing it from the goal line or in the end zone and only getting 20 yards, that's a win. That, that that's right. That's right. For, and for Virginia Tech, for, for from a field team. position standpoint. Yeah. Uh, now that said, if he breaks one. That wins the game for you yeah. right there. Uh, now, he, he also fumbled a punt return in yeah. this game. So, like I said, this guy's very much boom or bust, yeah. it seems like. So far. And I also want to point out that in Virginia Tech's kickoff return, you know, Kashawn King is going to have some opportunities in this game. 11 kickoffs this year for West Virginia. Only two of them have gone for touchbacks. One of them was actually kicked out of bounds, too. So, they don't have a very good kickoff guy. So, Kashawn King, who looked – sharp last week returning kickoffs for Virginia Tech and Justin Fuente doesn't believe the play they got called back was a penalty oh yeah yeah um he said uh a defender kind of tripped up and Dulius was engaged with him when he tripped up and it made it look like Dulius held him did they call a holding yes yeah Yeah. um so but either way you know Kashawn King I think he showed good vision and everything like that on his kickoff returns he will have an opportunity against West Virginia so it's possible that one kickoff return could swing the trajectory of this game yeah so so when you got a couple of teams that are it's a high scoring game it's a 49-42 type of game Special teams, the importance of special teams is diminished. And what I mean by that is when you have two offenses like these, which have not shown the ability to be very explosive, it's very difficult for these teams to drive the length of the field. So if you get a good play on special teams or a turnover, Mm -hmm. you're spotting them a lot closer to the goal line. And if teams aren't capable of really moving the ball effectively, that's a bigger deal in a game like this. And what I like is that Fuente's good at playing that game. We showed it against North Carolina. Yeah. And, you know, he showed it at times in the past. For a guy who was a former offensive coordinator who was considered an offensive-minded coach when he was hired, he's always shown that he has a very good grasp of how how to influence the outcome of a game with special teams and how certain, you know, offensive game plans can help the defense. Very Frank Beamer-esque. 
from, from all that standpoint. Um, yeah. So, yeah, this is one of those games that, you know, a kickoff return could potentially decide it. And I spent all that time talking about it, and now it probably won't. But, but, <laughs> well, but, but keep that in mind as you watch the game. Something like a defensive score, for example, could yes. be huge. Oh, yeah. Well, I mentioned it that all of your m- predictions in Chris's preview on TechSideline.com, close, low-scoring games, special teams could play a f- huge factor. For the third week in a row, I want to go around the room, all three of you, Chris, Will, and David, and get your keys to the game. What do the Hokies have to do to head into Morgantown and win this rivalry matchup? <laughs> well, turnover, special teams, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> let's let's get that out of the way. But to me, the most important thing is uh, – you know, they be, need to be mentally involved, and I'm sure when they get off the bus up there, when they stay at the team hotel the night before, they're going to be mentally into it. But like I said earlier, uh, even the older players on this team will have never played in an atmosphere like this. And I'm not talking about pure number of people in the crowd. I'm talking about the negative waves. What's they're going to be coming towards to them. Right, yeah, like <laughs> like when they feel that Duracell ping off the side of their helmet for the first time, <laughs> uh, how are they going to react? Are they going to lose it, or are they going to buckle down? Um, you know, if they lose it, then it, then all this other stuff we just spent time talking about for the last hour and a half, it's not going to matter. Yeah. It'll, it could get out of hand quickly. Well, and a lot of young guys not playing in full stadiums last year, that could play a factor as well as this is the first true road environment that anybody who joined the team after 2019 is playing in. But I looked at, with an eye towards trying to figure that out. I looked just at the starting lineups, and there really aren't many guys that play key roles for Tech that that haven't played in front of crowds. That's correct. Dorian Strong is the main one, but I have complete but he, trust but he's a in Dante Jenkins as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, I, but I have complete trust in Dorian Strong. Yeah. So, so I, I think, and you're going to correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, I think these are bigger issues for offensive players. If you have a young quarterback who's, or, who's never been in that environment. Or a kicker. Commu- or communication a issues. Or a kicker, kicker or a snapper or a holder. Now, Peter Moore, Virginia Tech starting punter, is a true fresh. Yeah. Who has acquitted himself very well so far this year. By the way, West Virginia's kicker is named Casey Legg. 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 G-G. That's the aptly kinda, named Casey Kind of have to grow up and be a kicker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm like Chris Blewett. Like, why would he ever become <laughs> a kicker? Why would he ever Ryan suck up? Suck up. Yeah. <laughs> David, want to go to you. What's your key to the game for the Hokies? Um, outside of getting off to a fast start, which I think is a key to every single game for the end of time. Except for Middle Tennessee, apparently. Well, yeah. <laughs> because, I mean, you can always say a team needs to get off to a fast start. Um, I think it's going to come – I think it's going to be a, a very sloppy kind of game. You know, I think – as we saw and as I wrote in my part of the preview, um, Virginia Tech and Braxton Burmeister on offense, they have a couple drives, you know, they've had a couple drives in both of the games so far. And then after, outside of those drives, it was kind of just, you know, we're going to move the ball, we might get a first down, but we're going to, you know, we're going to punt it back to you. And I think it's take advantage of the opportunities you have and then make sure you play the field position game really, really well. Because Peter Moore, I wanted to hit on Peter Moore. He's got three. He's got eight punts so far this season. Three punts have been over fifty yards. Yeah. He's he's completely you know flipped the game on its side so far this season, and he's got four punts inside the twenty. Yeah. So yeah. if Virginia Tech, I think it's going to come down to can Virginia Tech stop West Virginia on 
on the defensive side. Um, but Virginia Tech offensively needs to, I think, kind of do what they did against North Carolina, which is give the offense needs to give the defense a little bit breathing room. And if Tech offense does get into a tough situation where they do have to punt it back, you know, if Peter Moore can pin West Virginia inside the 10-yard line, yeah. you know, and the defense can go to work and, you know, hold them, maybe, maybe allow 10, 15 yards, but then, you know, get the ball back. I mean, those are the plays that are going to win you games. I think it just needs – it's not going to be a pretty game, I don't think. You're not going to see Tech come out and – you know, maybe you'll see Tech run for a good amount, but I don't think you'll see Tech They're sling the ball around. Yeah, exactly. It's not gonna. I don't think it's gonna be a high-scoring game. You know, and I think Tech's defense will come to play and play pretty well. But, but in a hostile environment on the road, for like like we said, you know, for a lot of the younger guys, um, you know, you have Caden Moore and Dorian Strong and Keonta Jenkins. But outside of that, you know, pretty much everybody's played in a road atmosphere before. Um, you know, it's going to be just buckling down and making sure you do the little things right, I think. Like, making sure when, uh, in terms of field position, that, like, you know, you, Oscar Shadley goes up to Peter Moore and says, hey, you know, don't think about the, the fans that are throwing batteries at you before you go and try to pin <laughs> pin West Virginia in their own 15. You know what I mean? I think it's those types of plays that are going to win Tech the game. Well, I think that's something that Tech has done really well in the first two games. They've limited the mistakes, and they haven't given up short fields. I think that could be key against West Virginia as well. Yeah, so Virginia Tech is second in the nation, tied for second in the nation at 2.5 penalties per game. Um, and, and they're up there in turnover margin. Tech is plus one per game through two games. And these are the the hidden yardage, the intangibles. Um, WVU averages five penalties a game to, to two and a half for Tech. So it's not like WVU is a train wreck. They're not going to give you eight to ten penalties unless they play a different kind of ball game. They're more than there. welcome to. <laughs> yeah, have at it. You know, Turn it over four times and commit 15 penalties. Well, we've gone through the matchup with the Hokies and the Mountaineers, but I want to take a trip back down memory lane, look at past matchups. I'm just going to sit back and get a history lesson from you guys because the only Tech WVU game I remember <laughs> is the 2017 yeah. uh, FedEx Field game. So I'm going to say your favorite memory cannot be Shane Graham, but outside <laughs> fair, of that, that's fair. Yeah. What, what is your favorite <laughs> memory of the Tech-West Virginia rivalry? I'm totally divided between the 2004 and the 2005 game. 2004 game was at home. It was my senior year of college. So I was there for it. 2005 was kind of redemption because you knew, obviously you remembered what happened up there two years before. And you knew you weren't going to be playing them again for a while. And if they had beaten Tech that year and taken the Black Diamond Trophy, you would have been like, oh my God, when are we going to get a chance to win this thing back? Yeah. Um, so I would honestly, I would probably go 2005 because of that. And I would normally not approve of a Virginia Tech player doing this on national television, but I thought the Marcus Vick moment was one of the greatest <laughs> moments in Virginia Tech football history. I have no doubt that whoever that was directed towards absolutely deserved it. <laughs> no question in my mind. Yeah. Um, for, for me, it wasn't uh, 2005. Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, when you say WVU, I think of Wayne Ward – Hitting, uh, do you remember the guy's name? Uh, Kyle Caden. Kyle Caden. I was at that game. I was a senior in high school. That was yeah. that was that was the first my first ever Virginia Tech West Virginia game, and Tech was losing that game at halftime, fourteen to seven, 
and then they won it 48 to 20. Yeah, they blew up on him. Yeah. Uh, Andre Davis scored three touchdowns on three different kinds of plays. It was mm-hmm. an end around, a reception, and, and a punt return. And it was all in like five minutes. All in it was it was in a very. Sh- I, I think I put it on YouTube at one point. Right. So and throwing the like the 80 yard touchdown pass to Bob Slowakowski of all people. Right. 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 <laughs> I mean, it, it was like halftime. West Virginia's winning, and I'm sitting there like, Tech's gonna win by at least 20. This, I was, this, I was this not is what concerned. we do. I was not concerned at all. <laughs> concerned. And, the, and then the avalanche came in the second half. But the funny thing about it, you, you look at the Wayne Ward hit on uh, Kyle Caden or whatever his name was, and, oh, man, they would throw Wayne Ward out of the stadium these days. <laughs> oh, yeah. But but if you can hear the audio, Tariko's calling it. That was back. That was a, that was a, a that game. That was a Thursday night game. Yeah. Thursday night game, Tariko and Herb Street and, and Lee Corso. And, and Tariko's calling it. And at the point where Wayne Ward hits Kyle Caden, I think you can hear Lee Corso cuss. <laughs> uh, you have to listen closely, but oh, good, you, you know. Yeah. Uh, no. So, so no. that that's one of my favorite moments. Now, there's a game I don't quite remember. Uh, it was, I think, 1990, and uh, Tech had a hideous. David, can you look up Virginia Tech's 1990 schedule? 19, 1990. Uh, that Not, was 26-21. Virginia Tech won in Blacksburg. No, that, you're thinking about the one in Morgantown with Major. In 89. Harris. 89. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm, it may be 91 I'm thinking about where Tech had a goal line stand. So, 89 was 12-10 in Morgantown. Yeah. yeah that, that was when West Virginia was ranked in the top 10. That was Frank's first Yes, West Virginia was number nine. And that was um, – nobody knew that Virginia Tech could ever do anything good because Frank had gone five and – 17 his first two two years and that was early in the year i didn't even listen to it i remember i was over to a friend's house and i was just like yeah i'm not listening to that mess (laughs) because they had major harris they were ranked ninth in the country they had played tech was tech was two one and one at that time okay so all right um I don't remember. I, I think uh, West Virginia. I don't think they played for a national championship the year before, but I think they played in the Fiesta Bowl. Well, they went unbeaten the year before, and I think yeah. yeah, yeah, and brought Major Harris back, who was a great quarterback. But then, like uh, I don't know, my buddy of mine came in, and he's you know we didn't have cell phones back then, but I somehow got the words like yeah, Tex went in twelve to ten. It's late in the game, so Mickey Thomas kicked four field goals, and that was that was probably, when games weren't on TV, so you couldn't. Yeah, but you yeah. know, you had to listen to it on the radio, you know. So that was 89, 90 was uh in Blacksburg, I guess, and 91's probably one I'm remembering where I think that game was also stopped by a lightning strike for like an hour. 99 was uh Virginia Tech won 20 to 14 in Morgantown. 1991, uh, you mean? 91, yeah. yeah. 20 yeah, I'm, to 14. I'm, Pretty sure that was the one where it was it was fourth and goal and uh, Virginia Tech defensive tackle forced a fumble to, to win the game. Mm. Well, um, obviously, a lot of history in this rivalry. One of the two trophy games for the Hokies, obviously, the other Commonwealth Cup. Yeah. But this has only been played once in the last 15 years. Is yeah. this still one of the top rivalries for I, Virginia Tech? I mean, to me, it's certainly one of the top three. I mean, Virginia's in state, so I guess you have to put them number one. Carolina's in there for – because I think they're the complete antithesis of everything Virginia Tech is and because they're a recruiting rival. West Virginia is a, u- a unique rival in that their fan base actually cares about football. Yeah. Um, Carolina fan base, I mean, they got a few that do, but generally speaking, they pay football lip service and, and, and they just don't care about it. 
And how do you look at the crowd? I mean, UVA's got a good football coach now. They're a well-coached football team. And you look at their crowd this past weekend with Illinois there, and it's like, where are they at? Like, like, like I, I think the latter stages of the Al Groh era and Mike the London. entire Mike London era, they just – I don't think their fan base will ever recover from that bad football. Yeah. And yeah. and they just don't go to games anymore, and they aren't passionate. Now, West Virginia is passionate. Yeah. And that's what make this, makes this rivalry unique. I will say that I don't think they're Tech's biggest rival because I think I, – I said I think UNC's Tech's biggest villain – I think UVA's Tech's biggest rival because of the in-state nature. I think the West Virginia rivalry is the most fun okay. because their fans care about football. And Those they have long don't. memories. They have oh, yeah. 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 This, this yeah. game, I'm, I'm guessing, this game is a big deal to them. Oh, yeah. yeah. And it's a big deal to a lot of Tech fans, but probably not all Tech fans. Right. Oh, there are a number of Tech fans that don't want to play it. Um, I mean, this game means more to West Virginia fans than it does Tech fans. I'll say, not to me. It means a lot to me. Um, I, I'll say, I mean, I, I don't like West Virginia, of course, but I'm, I'm thankful for West Virginia Much because they, 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 they provide the emotion that, that I think makes it's what college football is all about. Yeah. I mean, what do you want to play Rutgers every week and Boston College every week and Middle <laughs> Tennessee? And No, you have to have some games like this. And uh, it's one of those games where, you know, if Tech wins it, we're going to sit here on Monday and we're going to analyze and, and strengths and weaknesses and blah, blah, blah. I'll be equally thrilled if Tech won 49 to 42 or 2 to nothing. You know, I don't <laughs> care. Just just win the game. Right. Um, and so for me, it goes – I mean, they, they had a great rivalry in the Big East days. Oh, yeah. For me, it goes further back than that. If you go back into the 80s when Bill Dooley was coaching, uh, Bill's schedule was – there were 11, 11 games back then if you didn't go to a bowl. And it was eight or nine games against just boring teams. And then there were the one or two or three games that mattered. UVA was always one of them. They would play Clemson here or there, and that one mattered, and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Those were the games that, that mattered. There were very few of them back then, and West Virginia was right there. And it was frustrating because they were a really good program, and I'd have to go back and look at it, but I think West Virginia won most of those games. But they lead the all-time series. Yeah, they, they do 28-23, yes. and I think Tech has won something like six out of the last nine. Yep. So, Tech's so, actually won three of the last four in Morgantown. Yes. The one we lost, we remember. Now – Two of those three that we won, we remember, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the Hokies are 2-0, and so even outside the rivalry, this is a big game for Virginia Tech. I feel like the fan base as a whole is kind of trying to manage expectations right now. Say it's two games in. Do you think if Tech beats West Virginia on the road, those expectations start to rise? Especially, <laughs> I don't think there's any question. Especially well, with Notre uh, yeah. Dame coming up the in The anticipation weeks. for the Notre Dame game yep. ramps up. I mean, yes. th- this is all about setting. assuming you're going to beat Richmond. This is all about setting the table for that WVU game. Excuse me, the Notre Dame game. You get past this game and you're 3-0, and then you've got Richmond and you've got a week off. That's three more weeks for you to go up in the rankings and for ESPN or whoever's got – oh, the ACC Network has the rights to that game. Right. <laughs> but I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but that – it could be a top ten match. Congratulations, it everyone might. who has Comcast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, imagine if it's like number eight Notre Dame, number ten Virginia Tech. Yeah, that's oh, what I'm I saying. can't watch it because I don't have Comcast. If, if Tech wins against <laughs> West, do have Comcast, West Virginia, sorry. you've got an FCS team in Richmond the next week, and, and then a bye week. Yeah, so that's plenty of opportunity for teams above Virginia Tech to lose. Yep. Again, it could be a top ten matchup against Notre Dame if the Hokies get through this one. That's yeah, right. it, it is, and. 
That's the weird thing is like to me though, like I'm so focused on this game, like Notre Dame might as well be on the moon. <laughs> it feels like it's a long way yeah. off. It does. It's, it does. Oct- it's October. Especially with the bye week. So we'll see, but this obviously a big game for Virginia Tech and their expectations for this season. So we will see where it goes. I think it's a good time to hop into the YouTube questions, David. Well, we got to do our predictions first. Okay. We we never explicitly. I guess we never said never explicitly said. Well, we went over keys. We didn't actually. Yes. I I think I picked. Well, I'm not going to pick West Virginia (laughs) to beat Virginia Tech. You know, I I kind of see this game as a toss up. So you used to do that with Boston College. Do you want me to tell? I can tell. I can confirm what you put. I think I picked twenty to seventeen Virginia Tech. Right. Uh, Yes. You I read did. through it. All of you were pretty much within ten points of each other. <laughs> I picked twenty four. You, yeah, you said twenty seventeen. Yeah, I said twenty four to twenty, and I thought you did. I, I thought I picked a low scoring game. It sounds awful high scoring, scoring to me. <laughs> and I said seventeen thirteen. Right, and wouldn't, said, wouldn't surprise me if that was the final so, score. No, and I don't want to damper anybody's enthusiasms. But you remember how I said I almost changed my pick. Like after I wrote my preview for UNC, yeah, and and like if I hadn't already written it, I probably would have done it. I almost changed it last night. Like I almost went back and picked West Virginia last what, what night. What did What did you see or think that made you? I just keep thinking that, that like these these guys, like uh, redshirt senior Sean Mahone and senior their senior middle linebacker who played so poorly against Maryland last year or last or a couple weeks ago, but they were so good for the entirety of last season. Yeah, like. I've got to think that their performances against Maryland was kind of a one-off thing, and they're not going to do like, that again. like a fluke, a little yeah, yeah or or maybe or just there, there's a there's a like I say you're, you're teething with a, with a new safeties coach, you know, and not everybody's comfortable with each other yet, and they should be more comfortable with each other now. So I almost went back and changed my pick. I <laughs> I, I wish I'd done it for the UNC game because by Wednesday I thought Tech was probably going to win the game, but I didn't do it, and so I picked Tech twenty-four to twenty-one. And this morning, and last night, and this morning, I'm like, ah, I think West Virginia's going to win. But now that we've talked about them for an hour and a half, I think Tech's going to win again. <laughs> you know, so I might change my mind again between Friday. But I picked it 24 to 20 Tech, so I guess I have to stick with that. All right, you guys have been unanimous on picks all three weeks. I know so. we're not separating at all. <laughs> and I was, I, <laughs> I, I was actually, I, I knew he was going to pick Tech. Oh yeah, and I was hoping you would pick West Virginia, just so one of us would uh, be I, different. One would pull ahead. Yeah. I just I just haven't been impressed. I before we get into you question, I have one question for you, Chris. You mentioned how a lot of like this game might not mean as much for tech fans as it does for West Virginia fans. Do you think it's maybe because it's at West Virginia and when tech plays at West Virginia or here against West Virginia next year, do you think Tech fans are going to care more about it? Or do you think it's just just the way the, the rivalry is? You see, you're young, so you don't read the message boards very much. Oh, I do. You see it on our boards. Uh, the people there are some people that just don't think we should be playing the game at all. Oh yeah, I've that, seen we, that. We, that we never should have. Nobody at West Virginia is saying that kind of thing. That's Nobody right. for West yeah. Virginia says that. <laughs> they okay. want to play. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I mean by okay. that. Yeah. All right. Um, I've got I wrote down five questions and I think they're pretty good questions uh, first one from Eric Fisher what do you guys think is the cause for our lack of wide receiver production do guys have a low ceiling is it coaching or is it scheme that's those are well the, part of it's uh, physicality uh, just pure strength size and strength yeah I mean Trey's just still a skinny guy yeah um, he's Kind of the same size as he was as a, as a true freshman. Weighs 190, yeah. which is pretty much. Um, you know, Caleb Smith is a really good blocker. Tavion's a really. Well, here's the thing, though, man. Two of those three starting receivers are awesome blockers. So I don't think it's a physicality thing. Mm, solid point. Uh, like like I, Trey's best play. Like I would line Trey up in the slot 
where they can't get up in his face and take advantage of their strength advantage. I mean, I know it doesn't make sense having a 6'2 slot and a 5'9 outside receiver, <laughs> but Tavion's the stronger, more physical yeah. player, I think. Um, I don't know. I, you, you look all all around it, and you see guys at other positions who improve, have improved a lot. You know, you're. I guess we probably talked about this on, on Monday's did. podcast. Yeah. You know, I just don't see as much improvement at the wide receiver position as I do the other positions. And Tech's previous receivers did improve, but, you know, two of their previous wide receiver coaches were, you know, Holman Wiggins, who's now at Alabama, and Aaron Moorhead, who's now the wide receivers coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. I mean, I think it's, it's – I mean, we're about to start the third game of the season, so I don't want to really – draw complete conclusions until after the season because look there was two or three years in advance vice's tenure i was not sold on vance vice yeah. yeah and then i later became sold on vance vice so I, i'm 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 not quick to jump the gun on things like that but uh i think i'll know by the end of the season yeah Jacob Yates asks, do you think we'll see a similar game plan for West Virginia as we did with North Carolina? Barno dropping to spy, uh, clock management on offense, more man coverage. I don't think so. I think uh-uh. you'll see an attempt made to put more pressure on the quarterback. Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. Um, uh, th- that's my opinion. Place, play, play some man coverage and, and put some pressure on the quarterback. Yeah, I, I don't – I mean, they, they were scared of – not scared, but they respected Sam Howell's abilities. Uh and, you know, I think Deggie's a good player, but and I'm not saying Sam Howell's a speed demon, but he's not anywhere near the threat Sam yeah. Howell is, you know, is a, is a runner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't, I don't think it'll be anything like that. Well, offensively, do you think the tempo will be similar to North Carolina, or do you think that they ramp it up a little bit, not as worried about that West Virginia offense coming on the field? I mean, I don't think they're going to go in there with a hurry up. I'll okay. put it that way. I, I think it'll be somewhere between a balanced tempo and a slow yeah. tempo. Okay. Yeah, I don't think there'll be a deliberate effort to slow things down. Bra- Braxton Burmeister's probably not going to run over the sideline every after every single play. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Trevor Mays asks, what do you think is the biggest concern so far this season that has not been talked about enough? <laughs> that has not been talked about. Oh, God. Have we not talked about everything two weeks <laughs> yet? Um, well... I'm not going to say this is a concern. We don't know whether it, it, it's just an unknown. Um, can John Parker Romo kick a big, big field goal if he, if he needs to? We don't know. He had kicked a really long one against North Carolina, which was great, but then he missed a really short one, which, which you know, made it a, a one-possession game there at the end. Um, so if he has to kick a 40-yard field goal this Saturday to win the game, yeah, can he do it? That, that, that's an interesting Mine is – uh, I think one thing we really haven't talked about much, and Chris, you've looked at PFF grades and things like that, is how good is the offensive line, really? Um, we know last year's offensive line was outstanding. Mm-hmm. And Khalil Herbert's the kind of guy that when you open a hole, he'll make you look even better. Mm-hmm. Um, how good is the offensive line, really? Yeah. Um, you lost uh, well, first-round pick up front. So the thing is, man, running backs – to me, I think a running back for the running game is more important than an offensive line. And I've slowly developed that. I used to not think that way when I was a kid. But, like, as I've gotten older, and I think back on that 2006 season when that Tech offensive line couldn't block air and Brandon Orr still ran for, like, 1,200 yards. 
Well, not only that, but you look at some of the lines that Ryan Williams ran behind. David, and, and the, the, the line that David Wilson ran behind wasn't all that great. Yeah. 2000, 2011, he was just a better athlete than everybody else on the field. Just last um, year watching that offensive line right. and thinking, man, put I, Brian I, I, th- I, th- I think there are going to be times this year. I think this Tech offensive line is still one of the best te- offensive lines Tech has had. Yeah. And But I think there are going to be times where fans who believe the opposite of me <laughs> that think the offensive line is more important than the running back – where they're going to say, say, ah, oh, this t- line isn't any good. Well, it's just, they just don't have Khalil Herbert anymore. You know, all an offensive line can do is get the running back to the unblocked hat. And they do that a pretty good number of times. And uh, Khalil, Khalil Herbert always made that unblocked hat miss. Well, the very first play, the very first running play of the Middle Tennessee game, they, it, it, I, I wrote this in my column. It wasn't an issue of somebody missing a block. It was – Every, every, I think there were five five blockers and, and six defenders, and that defender knifed in and, and took Blackshear down for a one-yard loss. Right Now, I'm not saying Herbert would have done better, but that's it. It was the one-on-one, and Blackshear didn't win it. Right. Uh, John Joyce asks, is the playbook fully open for this game, or does Virginia Tech hold back for conference I think it's play? Fully oh, God, no. I mean, uh, they held back last week. And to me, they held back last week because they've done a lot more film study of West Virginia than than you would realize. Um, And I think West Virginia coaches did the exact same thing. I'm sure they did. They played Long Island. And they won 66 to nothing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, you're not going to hold anything back now at this point in the season. Right. Let's do one more. Uh, Chet Morse asks, Braxton seems to progress through his reads well, but Mm -hmm. often doesn't have an open man. In your opinion, is this more the guys and their routes or the play call itself? Uh, well, uh, wide receivers didn't have trouble getting open with Brad Cornelson's plays when they had Isaiah Ford and Cam Phillips and Bucky Hodges and Holman Wiggins was was the wide receivers coach, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think it's the plays. Uh, uh, No, I, I think. I think less. I think Texas receivers are less likely to win a one-on-one battle these days, um, which makes scheming guys open. Uh, and I've decided, and you know, somebody said this on the boards this week that, you know, we use the phrase "smoke and mirrors" offense so much that people are starting to like take it as a negative. And I never viewed it as a negative. I viewed it as a as a. I call it misdirection. Right. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I'm not going to stop using that because some people think I'm we're being negative when we use it. I'm actually not, but. People take it that way, so we're going to stop using the phrase. And there has to be more scheming open of, of guys these days. But the thing is, like, there's like football has been played for over a hundred years now. And there's so, only so many schemes out there new. and things like that. I mean, it's not. I mean, these guys, these coaches. I mean, they all get paid six and seven figures, depending on what kind of coach you are. And it's their job. It's what they do every day. You know, I mean, it's, you're not going to fool too many people. It's, it's, I mean, coaches use the cliche, generic cliche, that it's about execution more than anything else, and it's true. <laughs> so I shouldn't take my VCR tape of the Maryland-West Virginia game and mail it to Coach Fuente? <laughs> Did you all know that story? I know you don't know that story. Uh, but you'll appreciate this as a former Tech Talk Live translator. <laughs> this, was, this, this was back this – this was back when Tech was still in the Big East, and I don't know the opponent, but – I'm going to say it was Syracuse just for the sake of argument. And this guy called in, called into the show. And it was like, Coach Beamer, I know y'all got a big game coming up this weekend against Syracuse. And I tell you what, I, 
I taped their game this past Saturday on my VCR, and I, if you feel like you need to watch a little, watch them a little bit before you actually get out and play them, I can make a copy of it and mail it to you, and just get there a couple days before the game. I'm serious. This was an actual that actually happened. That actually happened. This is when I'm sure they used to allow people to call into TTO. Right, right, and that doesn't happen anymore. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it's one of the best decisions they ever made. So I guess they weren't screening that night. They were just. Punching buttons and letting people <laughs> through. Been a long <laughs> I don't, why they stopped doing that. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that, I, I remember that. Now, there, and there's been a few others too, where you're just, it's just cringeworthy. Like the, this, I think this was a Tech Talk Live when when the woman called in and asked Jim Weaver about she had never heard. I guess she's never heard of Metallica, and she thought Inner Sandman was called Enter the Sandbag, and she had never heard of it, and. Uh, um, this stuff used to happen and people wonder why they don't let fans ask questions on, on, on the radio anymore. Lays <laughs> well, will say if you have a question tweet it at me I think that's a better way to do it that you way Lays can screen yeah. it out instead of yeah. just having somebody pop right. on the show that's absolutely the best way to do it I that's, touch- that's why we have our screener over here there yeah. we go yeah. I, I want to touch on one thing from that last question before we get out of here with some of these plays, Braxton Burmeister going through his reads, do you think there may be a lack of trust to throw that 50-50 ball to Turner or Robinson that's down the field? part of it. Yeah, I think that's part yeah. of it. Um, and he, there's been a couple times where he's been late seeing things, or or maybe he did see them and they just decided not to throw it. But sometimes he probably does need to maybe throw guys open a little bit more. I, I don't know. they they got to work on it um, for sure. I, I think after last week with two games under their belts, they have a better idea of what they need to work on now and figure out what everybody's comfortable with. But I, and it's still only two games into the season, but my, my, my general opinion is that the biggest changes in the passing game from, like if you want wholesale huge improvement, I don't think they can happen until the off season. Yep. And certain things that could potentially happen then, which I don't want to get into right now because I don't want to talk about it for the <laughs> next three months because it might not even happen. So what's the point? Sure. Yeah. Well, that is going to do it for our West Virginia preview episode 191 of the Tech Sideline podcast. Before we get out here, Chris, David, what's coming up on TechSideline.com before the game on Saturday? Oh, man. We are having Inside the Numbers tomorrow, which is a look at Taiwan Garbutt's performance against Middle Tennessee, which I'll give you a hint, was one of the best grading performances of the PFF era defensively wow. at Virginia Tech. Of all time. Yeah, like one of the top, one of the top ten. Yeah. Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, you hey, say Taiwan is back, time. baby. Yep. <laughs> uh, Friday Q and A on Friday. Brandon Patterson will have a look ahead to West Virginia with some game film and things like that. Now Brandon's article should be interesting. Yeah, it should. Yeah. Uh, yeah. David, I'm writing a story um, with some quotes. We got to talk to Connor Blumrick yesterday for the first time. I thought he was actually pretty interesting. So I'm going to write some stuff on him um, uh, and a, a note. Um, on the ACC Network tonight at 7 and tomorrow at 7. Tonight, the women's basketball ACC schedule is being released, and tomorrow the men's schedule is being released, so maybe a basketball schedule story on Friday. And we'll touch on the schedule on Monday's podcast as well when we recap West Virginia. Preview for West Virginia already up on techsideline.com, and that is free for students. want to mention that again. Uh, and I believe first month free if you sign up now on TechSideline.com. Yeah, so our, first of all, our game previews are free, and the stuff David does from yes. the uh, – oh, the game previews have polls in them to kind of predict uh, how much you think Tech will win by or if the opponent will win. <laughs> so always pile in and, and, and vote on that. We had like, I think, 1,800 votes in last week's poll. 
Um, and as you can imagine, something like 90% of them picked Tech to win. I believe they were right. 11 plus. Yeah, yeah that was a toughie. <laughs> um, so I lost track. Oh, yeah. So um, student subscriptions are free. Your monthly subscriptions, the first month is free. And, um, you know, I, I'll admit we haven't done a huge job of promoting that. I'll get around to it. You know, <laughs> Try and throw it in there every, every other podcast here before we yep, get into games. Right. Well, that's going to do it for episode 191 of the Tech Sideline podcast. We broke down the West Virginia game. Want to let you know where you can find everybody on social media. Will Stewart, founder and general manager of TechSideline.com. You can find him at WillStewartTSL on Twitter. To my left, lead analyst and columnist Chris Coleman at TechSideline.com at ChrisColemanTSL. And then David Cunningham, our man Managing editor is at the real D kind of I'm at Lyman Jake on Twitter as well. That is going to do it for episode 191 of the tech sideline podcast brought to you by the Southeast regional training center, getting you set for West Virginia and Virginia tech from Morgantown on Saturday. We hope you enjoy the game Hokies fans and we'll talk to you on Monday.